to the Power of Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Miller, and I'm really excited to welcome you to today's show. As you know, this podcast explores how sports impact and shape our lives and how we impact sports in turn. But of course, these processes also involve how we as adults shape sports for our children. So I'm pleased to welcome a very special guest to discuss that topic, Dr. Megan Babke-Stellino, a professor of social psychology of sport and physical activity at the University of Northern Colorado, and also the founder of Mindful Sport Parenting, to speak about her life in sports and her research on the impact of parents on youth. Dr. Babke Stellino has experience as a college gymnast and college professor, and she has taken the steps to take her research, which explores the social influences on young people's sport and physical activity experiences outside the academy and into people's lives with her community of practice project, Mindful Sport Parenting. Mindfulness is an essential part of my life, and although I have cultivated a practice of it for many years, largely because of its positive impact on my life, and although I also encourage my students to do the same, I also recognize how difficult it is to maintain. Some days I seem to levitate on my meditation cushion, other days I truly have a monkey mind. And if you're a parent, then you surely know how hard it is to turn your thoughts down and give your brain and body what it needs most, oxygen, space, and peace. So please join me on today's show as Dr. Babke Stellino and I discuss the profound influence of sports on personal growth and development and explore what parents can gain from being more mindful of their actions, behavior, and even their thoughts as parents of young athletes. As you'll hear, Dr. Babke Stellino encourages parents to prioritize communication and connection and also letting go. But you'll want to listen to the end to make sure you hear what she has to say about the power of sports to parents and to her. How are you today, Megan? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, great. Thank you so much for taking some time to record the show with me. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited yeah. to learn about you and your work. Yeah, just honored to participate and be here and get to share all the good things about sport parenting and the power of sports. Thank you so much. Yes, there is a lot to be excited about sharing there because as a sports parent myself, I think it's a lot of fun. And it can be really exciting. And I'm eager to learn about how you got into all of this. And I always start with asking my guests about their early experiences in sports. Were you an athlete? Were you a fan? What were you a fan of? What did you enjoy playing? Yes. So typical kid in the 70s. Yeah, I'm the oldest of four kids. And I would say my parents are were the original of the, they led the parade uh-huh. on, on achievement. Academically speaking, we use the phrase like neoliberal society and really valuing that shift that happened in the 70s and 80s around valuing achievement and particularly in publicly visible places. And so, yeah, typical kid in the 70s. My parents were on that achievement parade. I was put in all kinds of sports. So very typical soccer, piano, dance, sailing with my dad. And then gymnastics and a coach. I must have been seven or eight. Pretty classic story. Some coach identified me as having talent in gymnastics. And the rest becomes history where my interests narrowed and I followed that talent path. And my parents were all in. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm eager to I'm eager to get your opinions on looking back on that specialization that you did at a relatively young age. But Maybe we'll get to that in a little bit, because I know you were a great college gymnast. I read that in your bio. And so what was the journey like from focusing on gymnastics to then becoming a college gymnast? Yeah. So like I said, very, I guess, as a sports psychology professor and specializing in youth sport and really from a sociological standpoint, as well as a psychological standpoint, I just, it's interesting how in the rear view, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was the classic, not only gymnast, but early sports specialization, sport choosing 
athlete. And then the pieces of my family just really diving head first into the kind of prescriptive, classic, do as we should navigation of that process. I don't think there was a lot of thought. There was a lot of subscribing to what was considered most beneficial and what was going to yield the most advantageous results. So mm-hmm. from that that early talent kind of place, my my participation in other activities started to fall off at the side. I think piano was the last thing to be there. And then even that just waned. <laughs> and it became by the time I was 11, I was entirely focused on gymnastics and and true to form in early specialization sports like gymnastics and the timing of what's happening in the world within a particular sport where I wasn't good enough, there were better opportunities. And again, the story's in the rear view, so we can always make sense of things in hindsight, like filling in that narrative, but it is what it is. I moved away from home at 11 to go train it. Yeah, yeah. And that was actually the first of two times. So yeah, I moved to develop that talent beyond what it could be developed, how it could be developed where I was. Went and trained at the National Academy of Artistic Gymnastics in Eugene, Oregon. And there were 1984 Olympians who were at that gym. And I became a part of the future. My family caught up with me there. But I would say, again, looking back, that started to be where some of the chaos that is the foundation of my life came from this, mm-hmm. this achievement. And it's interesting because my mom would always say, but you asked for it. Just mm-hmm. really fascinating where I am now. And yes. so much of mindful sport parenting, which I know we'll get to, is sure. about c- communication and asking as parents, asking your kids, what do they want? But there's the irony, right? Is I'm like, oh, my mom always said, and she was the epitome of, I mean, she was an original crazy sport parent. And I mean that with love and reverence because she was sucked in. She would have done anything for my brothers and me when it came to navigating our success in sport. And then complementary to that, and that intentionally is my dad who's like, yeah, if you're not having fun, quit, go do something else. Um, So I move away from home. My family catches up with me. My dad expands his business. We're in Oregon. And that eventually unravels as well because high-level sport and the intensity of achievement, there's a chasing and a seeking. And so I moved again and moved ahead of my family, lived with another family to train with at a particular gym. And that was in my sophomore year of high school. And yeah, eventually I lived with my grandparents for a little while. And then my family caught up with me again. And the gym that I trained at in high school, the club, there were seven of us who ended up being division one collegiate gymnasts out of that same year. And yeah, I didn't make the Olympic team as I had planned to, (laughs) but I was California state all around champ and balance beam champion and floor exercise champion. And was sixth in the country on balance beam at one point. And I, w- I was always just under the best of the best, but it really yielded an amazing pathway. Absolutely. So that's, yeah, that's my athlete career. Yeah. And I would be curious, maybe you want to answer this now, maybe you want to answer it at the end of the show, or maybe you don't want to answer it at all, and that'd be okay too. Looking back on it, you, you said it yielded this path, but was it worth it, all that training as a young kid? We don't get do-overs. I'll answer really honestly. I've always felt a huge amount of pressure to say yes. Mostly the pressure comes from myself because I had so much opportunity. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. And I know that my path would have been very different had I not been offered those experiences and been as all in as I was. So yeah, it was worth it. I'm thrilled to be where I am now. Do I think another pass might've been just as good or yeah, we'll say just as good. Sure. But I think it was worth it 
I think the power of a story is <laughs> absolutely priceless. So I love that I have a story to tell and that I'm able to use that story um, in my personal and professional life as it continues to go forward. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It definitely lends an incredible amount of credibility to what you're doing now with your, your teaching and uh, your work with uh, the mindful uh, sports parenting work that you do. I'd love to hear more about that transition as well. How did you go from being this elite athlete? And by the way, I would just say that you might see yourself as just the top of the top, but being a state champion in anything I think is the top, especially in a state like California with 40 million people or whatever it is. And so what about that transition? How did you move from being this elite athlete to then deciding to pursue sports psychology, first of all, right? Not yeah, just yeah. psychology, right? Yeah, yeah. So of course, it's a good story. So as a collegiate, a division one collegiate gymnast, that timing is really important for the story. So at University of Washington, there I was thought I was headed to be an orthopedic surgeon. And let's just say organic and biochem kicked my rear. And so I does this, yeah. <laughs> it does that. I've heard, that, I've heard that. this story many times. Yeah. So you can major in anything on your way to med school. And I really always loved psychology. I had taken AP psychology as a senior in high school, which paralleled a lot of other things that were happening in my life. So I was a psychology major and um, another one of those just really profound convergences of a lot of things were happening where chemistry was kicking my rear. So med school was out and I decided to take some summer classes as a psychology major right at the time when some really rough things were happening as an athlete. And at the time that I was a collegiate athlete, there were no student athlete services as there are now. I graduated from Washington in 1993 and it was right on the precipice of some of what we now know to be sports psychology and student athlete services. They were in place right after I finished. So the convergence of taking summer school and ultimately my gymnastics career waning for a whole slew of reasons. I needed to expand my identity and harness the academic in myself. I was always a strong student and it just so happened to take a developmental sports psychology class that summer. And the professor, Frank Small, was deep in the field of early sport and exercise psychology focused on social influences, development. And there I am in this summer as my gymnastics career is waning and winding down. <laughs> and it's just like this hook came in. And Ron Smith and Nancy Barnett were other faculty, PhD student at Washington, who were doing this work in sports psychology. And it just was like the universe came and collided with oh, okay, this is something that I'm really interested in. It relates to what I'm experiencing. And so that buoyed me at the end of my undergraduate studies. I ended up doing an honors thesis in sports psychology. I looked at achievement motivation among collegiate athletes. I think that was kind of garbage looking back, but of course I'm not being very kind to my younger self. So that was the initial hook. And then I thought, oh, I want to go on and maybe pursue this as a career. And fortunate would have it that I also had worked at a children's summer sports camp, non-competitive at the University of Oregon when I had gone home in a previous summer. And Mo Weiss is a revered, acclaimed person in sport and exercise psychology, also studies social influence. So when I was like, oh, grad school, where am I going? My athlete career is ending. I think I want to do this very cutting edge space in psychology. There happened to be some really amazing academic mentors that I didn't recognize as such because he was an athlete. I looked to the world of sports more than I looked to the world of academics and professional selves. And so between all of those people and seeking advice, yeah, then I pursued graduate school. I went to University of Oregon did a master's degree. My first publication comes from my thesis and it was study, It was on parental influence and youth sport. And then the rest is history from there. Yeah. And what was it about social psychology that in particular, you mentioned the social influence 
in things like athlete motivation and whatnot, but was there a particular aspect of social relations that I think this is the right nexus of fields for me? Yeah, absolutely. So I've never been interested in the performance enhancement piece. One of the early hooks was developmental psychology. For me, the addition of social psychology just really creates a strong culmination in the predominant factors that have predictive power for well-being, for health, for pursuit of passions, for resilience, much of positive psychology. Oh, the social piece of it is crucial and necessary in my world because the sport doesn't exist in a vacuum. It happens to be a context that is by its very nature social. And so without acknowledging those social influences, I think we're selling ourselves short in truly understanding the nature of athletes' experiences, the sport context. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. And, uh, and so when you think about those factors, given the work you've done over the years as a social psychologist, what are some things that you think are predictive of success in young athletes? Parents could be keeping an eye on or trying to be mindful of themselves. I think it's communication and connection. I think those are part of the cornerstones of what parent can remain focused on to help ensure that athletes have a positive experience, that parents have a positive experience, that well-being and health, and I'm going to call it relative success, is achieved. Recently, I heard just an exceptional explanation of sport and that it's zero-sum context. So there's way, there's more losers. There's far more losers yeah. than there are winners. But that's the fallacy, right? <laughs> In that there's winning. All, there's right. so much to be won. And so... Depends on how you define winning. Exactly. Right? And so we have the advice for parents is that, can you guarantee that your child is going to be on a championship team? or win a tournament, or win a race. No, but you as a parent can pretty well guarantee that they can develop, that they can be well, that they can be healthy, that they can build relationships. And that's the short list. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about communication and connection, because I think Sometimes some parents have one or the other, but maybe not both. I like mm -hmm. how you synthesize those and say it really is those, both of those factors that, that are important there. And so your organization, Mindful Sports Parenting, emphasizes mindfulness for parents. So what is it? What is mindfulness, first of all, and how does incorporating it and mindfulness practices into the way that parents do sports for their children, right? They might be on the sidelines. They might not actually be the coach. But what is the benefit of being mindful for parents as they help shepherd their young athletes along their journeys? Yeah, it's the absolute basis and foundation. I conceptualize within the mindful sport parenting framework that being mindful, mindfulness is judgment-free awareness of experience. And so mindful sport parenting is a community of practice. That's the endeavor where sport parents are within a space of sport parenting, like the verb, the action. It's not a passive process. Sure. We can ourselves and say, oh, I've signed my kid up. Now the babysitting is taken care of, paying yeah. for that. There's exactly. a lot of parents out there like that. Somebody else's responsibility. We're going to shift that away. We know that's not really true. We know it's not true in parenting. Sport just can be all-consuming. So it's a real fallacy to think that it doesn't warrant this awareness of experience. And then the judgment-free piece of it is my endeavor to create a space where people can own what's right for them. So when you ask about practices, that are consistent with mindful sport parenting. The first is to consider sport parenting with intention, clarity, and purpose. 
And so where do those come from? Those are the pillars, right? But where do they come from? They don't just instantly emerge. And so the core of where those pillars of intention, clarity, and purpose would be derived would be awareness starting with identifying either a parent and a child or maybe a larger family, sports philosophy, or a mission. What does sports mean in our family? What do we feel that sports can provide that particular child? What do they give to our unit? How does that extend maybe even to siblings? Things like birth order, are grandparents involved? Is it a larger community, multi-generational, et cetera? Dialing that back a little bit, I really want to reiterate that mission, that kind of family agenda around what sport means, then creates an awareness from which that intention and clarity and purpose can be derived. And I, I would argue that the judgment-free part has to come back in. My mission is going to be very different than another mom's mission. And then where this gets really exciting and that action piece of it and that non-passivity piece is in any dyad. So you have, if you have a two-parent situation and then you add in the child and then you add in perhaps another child or just all the permutations of families, mindful sport parenting is renavigating and renegotiating that mission as often as possible to keep the awareness going. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned how it has to be reevaluated, that agenda, because I think about we have three kids and our oldest is heavily involved in a variety of sports. And it is a changing landscape as our little kids get older and start mm -hmm. to take part as well. And I've coached both of my two older boys in baseball, t-ball, and basketball. And, and then my wife is very involved in my oldest's swimming team as well. So there's a lot of moving parts and having that family agenda, I think, is really a great idea for families, especially as it pertains to sports, which could take up so much of our time outside of work as parents as well. Enormous. Yeah. So I want to then share a little bit about my own training coach for sports. You, I'm sure you're well aware of the Positive Coach Alliance, and I, I did a training for them. And they recommended this flushing metaphor for when you're coaching young kids to help them bounce back from mistakes. And I'm wondering, that's obviously from the perspective of a coach working with a team of players, which is different than a parent. When I've, a child comes home, let's say, from making a mistake in a game, or even maybe if it's in the game and the parents are yelling from the sidelines, which I don't necessarily... <laughs> think you're going to recommend, but what practical tips would you say parents could think about when they're trying to help their children bounce back and ensure their well-being as well? Yeah. Yeah. This is the most common question, right? What do we do? And, yeah. and there's the whole, yes, flushing, flushing is a thing. <laughs> what do you think there. about it? Is it the right metaphor? Is there a better one? <laughs> I don't know. I am mild trauma reaction to it. It's right. We're always telling our kids, don't do potty talk at the table. Here we are on the sports right. team ourselves. Yeah. And it's interesting because it, oh my gosh, Pac-10 championships, my junior year of college, that happened to ironically be our metaphor where uh -huh. one of our kids even had like a mini little dollhouse toilet and was like, <laughs> that was a mistake. The name just, I, Maybe I that's like, where the Positive Coaching Alliance I got the idea from maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember finding it particularly effective as an okay. athlete. Okay. Yeah, anyway, moving past that, I like the spirit of the flushing idea because what it's symbolic of is to let it go. Yeah. Is to really just be able to be present, which is consistent with mindfulness, is mm -hmm. that we don't, again, we don't get do-overs. We get the moment. And uh, one thing I just am compelled to put out there around helping kids bounce back from mistakes in the community of practice with parenting is this concept of children don't, they're not many adults. So that's rampant within sport when we talk developmentally. But I think it's really poignant to, to remember and emphasize that children don't manipulate their effort 
in such a way for that to be the reason that mistakes, quote unquote, or poor performances result. And yet we as adults with all of our maturity tend to impose that, right? Like, would you have tried harder? Oh, they were holding back. And the fleshing, let it go. I think there is some really meaningful space there in terms of advice for parents, right? Yeah, we as parents need to let it go. (laughs) That's probably the most significant advice I can give based on the research is that young athletes, they're in it. They're doing their thing. They are not or shouldn't be, and we hope they're really not focused on this, of what's going to happen in terms of the analysis afterwards and trying to get out ahead of if this, then that, as they're doing their sports. So I think that flushing, we could map it on to parents. So flush it. it. Flush it. Let me ask you this because I think you're absolutely right. Uh, in theory, right? Parents need to be able to let go. We see this all across the country. And I think it's a rather uh, uniquely American phenomenon where parents are yelling and screaming at their kids vicariously through them. But why do you think it is so difficult for some parents to not be able to let it go? They see their child out there as a mini version of themselves, or maybe they see their own flaws. I'm curious what you would say to that question. Yeah, there's a little bit of research on this and there's nothing firm. We can't seem to get to it in some Mm -hmm. ubiquitous way. I think what we do know is that there is a strong emotional connection that is undeniable. So there's something very powerful about seeing your offspring. (laughs) I'll say it that way, because it really, I think, dig deeper than saying one's child. It's like you you made these people, right? right? And then they Humans are out there and they're doing things and whether it's doing sports that parents did themselves, it's a different time. Mm. And so the space has changed. If it's parents watching children do sports they didn't do, there's so much awe and emotion and attraction to that, that I think it's an overwhelming power that takes hold for parents. And they lose themselves in it. I also think to that end, and there is some good data on this, that investments are connected to expectations. Mm -hmm. So we hear when you say it's uniquely American to be crazy from the stands and in the parking lot and in the car and just the all in is it's a time, money. energy, effort, and then identity. I don't think we've ever had a time historically where we could say as strongly as we can now that there is a sport, a very salient, pervasive sport parent identity. So my kids play multiple sports, but hockey is their, they would tell you that's their number one. And by proxy, I am a hockey mom. And so I say that, right? And I can tell by your reaction, right? That conjures up something. I have my hockey mom jacket and I have my Yeti and no, it doesn't have alcohol in it and (laughs) usually has coffee because I'm tired because I'm driving everywhere because so there's a very salient identity. And once we know enough about identity, that is going to really give way to that impassioned engagement. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. That's really insightful. And I'm glad you connected to the research because that's an area of research is not where I read. And so I'm really curious to dive more into that myself. And the pressure obviously is just immense for some of these young kids. It doesn't only come from parents, obviously. It comes from the sports culture, the media, the coaches. And I think I got really interested in your work because it seems like there's this balance that's not being struck out there between supporting your child's ambitions, whatever they may be. That may be only them wanting to play with their friends. But but for some kids, as they get older, they do have larger ambitions and want to get the college scholarship or maybe even just be better than their friends. But also there's that question of their well-being. Like, how can we help them grow? You've said 
child development, you understand this very well. So how do we strike that balance between supporting those ambitions and also ensuring their well-being? Yeah, it's imperative. I'm going to go back to the communication and connection premise and asking parents, the communication can be further illuminated. And what I mean by that is asking children questions, having questions prepared, readily available, parents being brave enough to ask the questions and be willing to hear the answers. Yes. And that connects back to the original premise of a family philosophy around sports participation. So asking questions about what is the child's why? And that may be different on Monday than it is on Sunday. And it may be different three months from now. Sure. What are they learning? What is the child feeling? What are their goals? How does that fit then with parents asking themselves those same questions? I'm so glad you brought up the listening piece too, because... It does seem like there could be a misunderstanding when you say communication and connection. I think some people might interpret that as, okay, I'm the parent, I communicate. it's top down, information flows downhill, so to speak. But communication is a two-way street. And, and I think parents can do really well, or right by their kids, I should say, by being better listeners to them. And yeah. I want to bring up yeah. the concept when you talk about striking that balance between what does support look like and what does pressure look like? Because there's really good literature on that. And I love the concept of positive push where the, and that is going to, again, rely on communication, a parent being vulnerable enough to ask their child, what do you need from me? I know I have two kids and they're very different. One is set the bar for me and help me get there. And the other one is back off, (laughs) set it up for me, but then get out of the way. Like you don't know. Positive push is really a fabulous phrase that it's pushing and it's with positive intent, but it's in connection with the child. The literature is fascinating. If I could paint the picture of a curvilinear relationship where we know through numerous studies that too little pressure is detrimental and then too much pressure is detrimental. And so that sweet spot, like all kind of inverted U curves, it's going to be different by the individual. It's going to be different developmentally. It's going to be different depending on the context. So what type of sport? Is it individual? Is it team? So it's so many variables. But the idea, again, of being able to visualize for parents that with any particular child, the extent of support and how it support converts into or transforms into pressure is very unique and it's a balance, right? So too little can be as, again, impactful as too much can be impactful. And so we want to find that sweet spot of positive pushing with support, with involvement, in conjunction with communication with the child to get to that place and realizing again that it's going to be subject to change. So they're on a new team. They're playing at a higher level. I think about the change from club sports to high school sports and next level play. All of that gets really turned on its head. So that positive push is going to really look different. The other piece I have to add to that is, is the balance comes from a checkpoint of whose ambitions are they? Yes. Is it the child? Is it the parents? And I would say within the space of mindful sport parenting, can it be both? That's something we're really wrestling with in my family, probably because of my job hazard and my kids are well aware of what I do, where I am very clear with them and saying, I'm really committed to providing you with these developmental opportunities and hope that it is the right space for you. We wouldn't be doing this if there wasn't something to be gained. What mm-hmm. do you want to gain? What are your goals? What are your ambitions? What do you want to achieve? Again, what's your ambition? And so I think that balance can be struck when we consider those three elements. It occurs to me too, Megan, that when I hear you respond to that question, 
I think about a parent who might be out there thinking there are all those moving parts and those variables that you mentioned. And parents do get overwhelmed when you're balancing work and family stuff, but also the sports. And it occurs to me that a parent out there might be saying, what are some ways that when I am feeling overwhelmed by those different variables and moving parts, I can reach out for help to someone, you know, who might be able to, do you have any suggestions? I imagine your organization helps people just like that, but is this a good opportunity for you to make a promotional pitch? Yeah, I think it's in its infancy. I Mindful sport parenting feels like another baby. Uh-huh. I would love to speak to that. It really is the convergence of so many factors in my own life. And I think that we use humor when we're feeling a little untethered and a little out of balance. And so I hit this really amazing juncture where most of my research had been in social influence, particularly parents and youth sport. And then my husband and I, we have children. They're undoubtedly going to be athletes because we were athletes. And they're making their way through. And my older son played flag football and a bunch of dads were just losing their minds on the sidelines. And I've met those dads. I live in the same state and I've already met them. Exactly. They are everywhere. And I had this pull from within. I need to step up. I need to really get my work onto the field. I need to get it into the context. And honestly, I feel like it's one of the bravest things I've ever done is go to these dads and say, hey, you might want to say something other than what you're saying. And so all these dads are like, okay, doc, what should we say? To your question, what's where's the advice? I'm like, here it is. Here it is. And I had pulled from the work on I love watching you play. And I really said, I said to those dads, this is the easiest thing you can say. It includes you because you matter as the parent. Absolutely. But it also gives way to communicating with your child. It doesn't talk about results. It doesn't talk about effort. It just, I love watching you play. And as the story unfolds, those dads mocked it for the rest of the flag football season. It would say, I love watching you play, like making sure that I was listening and they do their chummy thing and put their arm around me like, we're doing right by our kids, aren't we, Doc? And I thought, this is not enough, right? Mm -hmm. It goes forward and my younger son's son starts playing and I start feeling more and more. Here I am in the stands. Here I am on the sidelines. Here I am in the car ride. Here I am in the kitchen. All the places, I know the research. My life as a sport parent is happening. My athletes' journeys are moving forward and the two are not meeting. And if I can't translate the research into my own life, how can the rest of the sport parents out there even have an inkling of what to do. So that's the impetus of mindful sport parenting is let's translate the research in a way that makes it easy to digest, to metabolize and incorporate into the practice of sport parenting so that athletes ultimately are benefiting. And I so- love that. I love that. I guess just to interrupt you just to say, I love that. That's great. I love the introspection that you, you engaged in to get there and, and bravery as well. I just think that's so great. Thank you. Thank you so much. The hard work on that has just begun. Right? Sure, of course. So, so the epiphany is, okay, then how do I do this, right? How do I do the research and then also consume the research and make it accessible? That's mm-hmm. one of the biggest okay. challenges is, yeah, for all the publications in academe, and textbooks and so on and so forth. That's not what the soccer dad is reading. That's not what they have access to. Um, So the translation is number one. And then making the research, the evidence basis accessible. And then the second piece of mindful sport parenting, I think that the urgency and the demand is there is to create a space for community where the we as humans want to relate to one another. And arguably in parenting, there's nothing more relatable than the journey, right? The how many more water bottles am I going to wash? How do I get this 
stains out of my kid's baseball pants? How do I feed my volleyball player? The list goes on. And so I think that mindful sport parenting's future is in community and translation of evidence-based research being the foundation of the discussion and the connections that come from that community. I love that. I love that. I envision as you're talking, maybe you're already doing this, but I envision like a coaching, a team coaching sort of circle for parents where they can get that peer-to-peer coaching about, because some parents are going to have younger kids, some are going to have older kids. The parents, the older kids are going to have a lot of great advice and creating that community of practice for parents to be more mindful. Shepherds of their young kids in sports is such a great idea. And I'm curious, there's so much out there in the popular consciousness about how sports teach life lessons. And I think that in the academic world, there's questions, right, about whether sports can teach character. What is character and whose character are we teaching and what kind of lessons are being learned? And there's a lot of kind of parsing of those questions. I think the question that comes up for me as we're talking today is what specifically do you think young people learn when their parents are mindful sports parents? Because the coaches, whether they're mindful or not, is a different story. But let's just talk about parents. If they're mindful, if they're thoughtful about the things they're saying to their kids and they're present with their kids and they're focused not on living vicariously through their kids in sports, but rather on whatever's best for the kid to develop, what do you think is the benefit to young athletes in that case? That is a fantastic question. Because at the end of the day, our focus in youth sport is so predominantly on the athlete and the physical growth and skill development. I think we are hearing more and more about character mattering, maybe dissecting what that really means. To go back to your question, think what athlete have the potential to gain from parents becoming more mindful in their sport parenting is connection. I think that, and purpose. Yeah. I think it really goes back to the pillars of mindful sport parenting and how that can transcend from parent to the athlete, that there's a very rampant, and maybe this is just my opinion editorial, but I think what's starting to become, unfortunately, too pervasive in especially the higher levels of youth sport is commodification and um, sort of robotic engagement. And I think mindful sport parents have the potential, just the immense potential to help their children navigate life by way of experience through sport in more personally, more socially relevant and meaningful ways to really connect with others and themselves about their why. It makes me think of the stories of sometimes a loss is so much more powerful than a win. So the times when a child is standing on the podium in first place or their team has won the banner there's this now what mentality and we want more than anything to just embrace that moment and i think that really we tend to feel more in the failures so i think the mindful sport parent because they are judgment free in their awareness of the experience and that is being judgment free around we need to go you're supposed to be at practice at this time and it takes this long to drive there and you haven't packed your bag and do you have your sacks and what a non-mindful sport parent is probably inclined to do 
is either be really hard on themselves. And so their young athlete, their child is going to bear witness to that and maybe feel guilt and shame. And I don't know, it's really hard on mom or dad when they're scrambling to get me where I need to go. Or the non-mindful parent who is, this is my job. I'm doing this for my child. Then we have this concern of entitlement in the young athlete. And so I think, again, the essence of judgment tree awareness about intention, about with clarity, about the purpose as parents are navigating really opens up the larger expansive journey in youth sport for the athletes. Sure. Absolutely. I love that. I think it's so fascinating to hear you talk about the ways in which particularly social psychology can benefit us when we're thinking about the social relationship between parents and kids. And again, in particular in the sports world. And so I'm curious, what is the power of sports for parents, in your opinion? I think the power of sports for parents is, in a nutshell, I think it's the power is to create opportunity for children to experience challenge, to build connection in a physical realm, belonging, right? So I am part of this group. These are my friends. We know that's one of the biggest motives for young athletes is connection, affiliation, friendships, right? So there's a lot of power for parents to provide that for development. What an amazing context sport is to develop in so many different ways. The power of sports for parents is a place to allow for failure. I love the fail forward concept. Yes. So fail. What is failure? It's an opportunity for learning and persistence. I think arguably if we want sport to be what we claim it to be, we need to provoke it. And parents have the power to provide that for their kids, especially by being mindful. I think the power of sports for parents is also a place to have a reckoning with their hopes and dreams for their child mm-hmm. or with their children. Um, the reality of youth sports being about their kids and not entirely about them, but also simultaneously about them. In a secondary way. Yeah, yeah. And then I think last, I think that the power of sports for parents is that it reveals so much about our children that we don't get to see Mm. over those developmental years. Kids come home with report cards or they can play on a song in a, on a particular instrument or they can sing or you see them maybe socially with their friends. And it's done in a blink of an eye. I think the power of sports for parents is that it reveals pieces of your child's character and their separate humanity from you as a parent. That sort of separateness and blossoming and is there integrity, is there respect, is there passion? Is there resilience? You know, what to sport is such a beautiful context and there's so much power for parents to provide that opportunity and then bear witness to all that can happen for their child there. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. And I'm curious, I end the show, every show with the question for my guests about what the power of sports is to them. Would you are a parent of athletes, but you're also an athlete yourself. Does the question change if I ask it directly to you rather than what is power of sports for parents? Is it something different for you? Just slightly. It does encompass everything for what I believe is the power of sport for parents in general. But personally, the power of sport, it's been the backdrop of my life. The power of sport for me is in the context, in the atmosphere of sport. And there is a, a, an overlap. For me, the power of sport is its potential to present immense challenge, satisfy curiosity. So curious about how activities can be done with the human body and we reach new limits and we challenge thresholds and push boundaries and 
so that curiosity is just insatiable. And I think the power of sports really satisfies that. It also builds connection. It creates belonging. The personal growth through sport for me personally, as I maybe mentioned at the beginning of the mm -hmm. show, I don't, I might've been on some other path if sport didn't exist at all, <laughs> but I'm grateful that it, it has. And the power of its presence in my life has certainly, again, gotten me to where I am in a, just an amazing backdrop. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for taking time to, to be my guest on this show. I've really enjoyed it and I've learned a ton from you. It's been a real privilege. So thank you very much, Megan. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's been an honor and a pleasure. And yeah, the power of sports is yeah. a really great place to consider. And I look forward to keeping in touch and learning more about where mindful sports parenting goes next. I know you mentioned it being in its infancy, but it seems like you've got some really great ideas to build on there. And I look forward to seeing what you come up with. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Take care.